0: Welcome back to the next Aid Station Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Kilgore. Today, we have a very special guest, Randy Orm, good friend of ours at the show. Um, Randy is a runner. First and foremost, she's a wife, mother of five. Yes. Runner. Yes. Um, She's a DC Peaks Aid Station captain, so we'll get into that. But we're going to open the show with Randy All in her Boston gear. She just got back from Boston two days ago. (laughs) Yes. So she got back from Boston two days ago. In our last episode, Mick and I talked about our experience running Boston, qualifying for Boston, what that great city means to us. Yes. So we thought it'd be really cool to have a follow-up show just a couple days after having Randy on. Very, very experienced runner. Very fast. Very good. So getting her experience of the city, and we'll we'll go from there. But I wanna start with your Boston experience this year. I know it was, watching it, it was rainy. I don't know yeah. the temperature, but it couldn't have been too warm, yeah. but it was rain, and just give me your experience.
1: Experience of race day. Well, Boston's always magical, right? Hot, rainy, hail, monsoon, Boston gets it all. And you really never know, like the weather was changing Day to day while we were there, like, oh, it's going to rain. Oh, it's not going to rain. Oh, it's going to be cold. It's not going to be cold. So I felt like my mentality going into it all was whatever the weather is, I'm going to have a great time. Right? Like Boston, the magic of Boston, working hard to get there, It's to me, it's the victory lap. So my experience on Monday was amazing, as always. Yes, it rained. So really cool thing. I got to be on the start line of wave two. So how it works, you know, there's the four waves and wave one, the, the coveted red bibs. I did think I was going to get a red bib, which is so stupid. You can all roll your eyes. But I was like, 303, that was my qualifying marathon beforehand. I'm like, that's that's going to get me a red bib. I'm going to get one. I was on the start line of wave two. So I missed it by like, I think, 30 seconds. So
0: only wave one gets red bib? Yes. Okay.
1: Yeah, that's like, so every every wave has a color color. So wave one, red bib, wave two, white bib. But the really cool thing about that was it worked out to be, it made it really special because I got to be on the start line of wave two. So wave one is gone. So you're right up there. You can see the start of the course. You can see the cameras, the gun goes off, you cross the mat and it feels like it's really powerful. It's it's like that palpable magic of Boston. And we all take off together. Um, Boston is the only world major I've done And this is the third time I've done Boston. And there's something different about those big world majors, right? The amount of people that run it. It's like a sea of runners.
0: 20, 30,000, something like that. Yes,
1: exactly. I think 30,000 about was what it was this year. So there's a sea of runners, but you're seated according to your time. So you take off with a sea of runners who are all about your pace. So it's wild. You all take off together, you know, but we had the national anthem there and everybody's just like high-fiving and giving hugs and amping up and you're all just kind of looking at each other like we did it it's emotional. Right before I went to the start line, I traveled to Boston with eight of my really good friends. And we all gave each other a hug in Athletes Village and you know, started yeah. crying a little yeah. because there's just, it takes a lot. It's a privilege to go run Boston. It takes a lot of training, a lot of time, a lot of discipline and sacrifice. Um, but with all that, there's so much joy in sharing that with other runners who all if there's a camaraderie and knowing that what we've done to get to this point.
0: So. Everyone has put in the work yes. and the training and the dedication to get there. Yeah. Very few runners, unless you're just naturally—I mean, you've been running your whole life, you're naturally really good. Very few runners qualify their first marathon or their first time, right? Correct. It took me three attempts. Yeah. To finally like crack the code of training nutrition sleep, like you're putting all of that together and it takes a few attempts for most people. It
1: does. I think it took me five. Yeah. And I like that you used crack the code
0: mm-hmm. because
1: it is, it's, it's figuring out, it's once you figure it out, kind of the floodgates open and you kind of have it after that.
0: Yeah. Right. It opens yeah. just like, oh, the aha moment. Yes. Of, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I thought I was like, uh, naturally like a good runner. Like, yeah. you know, just, I was athletic and skinny and oh, he should be a good runner. Yeah. But that doesn't mean you can hit those times. Correct. Over twenty six point two, and they they put the time at that right spot for the male female at the age where it's like, okay, I really have to push to hit that. And I think that that's so smart the way they've done that and they've increased the time. Yeah. They've made it harder over time because they there's have. more and more runners and right. we're getting faster and we're getting smarter and better as a as a society as runners. So they've they've made it tougher. Um, and, and cracking that code is such a cool moment. So talk to me about how you got into road running and then when, when was it like, I should try to qualify for Boston and like, talk to me about some of those failures or the times where like you didn't make it and what that did to you.
1: Yeah. So a little history on running. I am one of those weirdos who's always loved to run. I loved to run as a kid. And I I played a lot of ball sports, but I was very mediocre. Um, But I was always the fastest on the team. So that's why I got to start, because I'm a hard worker and I'm quick. So running was always like my way to kind of feel special and to get an opportunity to shine. So I'm like, well, I'm not always going to make the shot. I'm not always going to make the goal. But I can run fast, steal the ball, and pass it to somebody who can. Mm -hmm. So even as a young kid, um, I would say probably – Around age 11, I started going on runs on my own. Mm, yes. Like I just – it was like a spiritual experience for me from like that young of an age. Like I feel better about myself. Like it gave me confidence and it gave me peace. Um, So I ran when I was young. I went to state in middle school. So I did know from a young age that like, hey – I love this, and this might be something that maybe I'm kind of good at. Um, but I danced, I played all these sports, so it was kind of back and forth, back and forth. So in my early 20s, that's when I registered for my first marathon. And I ran, it was St. George Marathon back in- That was my first in, marathon. Oh, love it, <laughs> boom. Yeah. St. <Saint> George Marathon, <laughs> and that's in St. George, Utah. Um, that was back in, I wanna say like 20, let's see, 2003, I was uh, 20 years old, 21, mm-hmm. and um, I, like, had this crazy thought like a lot of people do. Maybe I could, like, BQ on my first marathon. Because ah. guess what? Yeah. My husband did, little turd. Yeah. It, not That is unusual. It takes, I would say, 95 to 99% of runners. It takes, takes some time, some work, multiple some attempts. failures, multiple attempts. But I didn't go out there with any <laughs> goals, so I ran my first one. Um, Ran into a cousin about halfway through, and she's like, stay with me. This is so hard. And I was like, yeah, let's do it together. So we ran it together, finished in four hours and one minute. That was my first marathon. And then the next day I, like, wasn't sore. And I was like, Mm. hell yes, man. I want to do this again. Like, I want (laughs) to run. I'm going to try to run, try to qualify for Boston. So when I was 21, I decided I wanted to qualify for Boston. But guess what? From that point on, that was not an easy journey. I did not qualify for Boston for I think a decade. It took me a decade mm. because um, I started, like I got married, started having a family. So I was running. We were doing half marathons and trail races and Ragnars and all these fun things, but the timing wasn't good for marathons. So I tried again one more time before I had kids, ran a 401 again. Really disappointing for me. Ran exactly the same time. Um, I had a stress fracture and I like limped the entire second half. And then I found out I had a stress fracture. So that made a little bit of sense. Third marathon, I had a few kiddos. I thought, like, this is the time I put in the training. You know how you mentioned they started dropping the times? Mm-hmm. I was in my early 30s. The qualifying time for a female um, was 340, three hours, 40 minutes. A few months before my first attempt postpartum at trying to BQ, they dropped it to 335. I thought, okay, that's fine. I was a little, little bummed. Um, ran a 336, missed it by one minute missed it by one minute. So 401, 401, 336. But what that did was that was the first time, I mean, I was, I was devastated and I myself was a personal trainer. I started, I was a running coach. I was coaching cross country and I just felt like a fraud. Like if I am, here I am saying I'm this, I'm a coach. I know what I'm doing. I'm helping others reach their goals and I can't even reach mine. Mm -hmm. So I, I did, I felt like a fraud and I was embarrassed I was, I was, and so I processed those emotions, and then you realize that that's not valid. You know, it's that imposter syndrome that we all get when we're going after big goals. Um, so I took some time to kind of quietly process everything. I journaled about it. I wrote about it. I looked through my training, and I realized, you know, I could do a lot better than this. Um, I missed a lot of runs, I realized. I realized I probably missed a quarter of my long runs. I realized I missed half my speed work. So how, and me as an average runner, how am I going to get to that next level? So what it did was it lit a fire underneath me. It lit a fire underneath me. Like I, it was so powerful and it was so empowering to know that, you know what? No, I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to put myself out on the line and I'm going to try again. And I might fail, which means others are going to see me do that, but that's okay. Um, And I had to get comfortable with that comfortable with saying that people are going to cheer me on, my family's going to care, people that are in my inner circle, they care about me, and so they're going to be invested with me. And I might—it felt like I was going to let them down, even though that wasn't the case. But yeah. that's just how we feel. So I went from a 330, 336 to a 320, and I got my first BQ.
0: Okay. And that
1: was back. And that was my aha, crack the code moment. And since then, I don't think I've ever not gotten yeah. a BQ and my time has continued to drop. And so that was me. Hey,
0: we're only getting older, there but we you're go. getting faster.
1: There we go. <laughs> so that was when I cracked the code. So it took, it took some time. I guess that was my fourth marathon, not mm-hmm. my fifth, but nearly a decade between um, having family and uh, we moved all over the country, supporting my husband through grad school. And I had no problem with that. I knew that my time would come but it just didn't feel right. And it didn't feel like it was my chapter to push. And so I pulled back, always kept running, kept coaching, kept, kept, I taught classes at the gym. So I've always been heavily kind of that, sorry, that health and nutrition activity has always been um, really important in our family with me and my husband, with my profession. But um, I, I knew I had to be patient. And finally my moment came to qualify for Boston and it was really special.
0: That is amazing. Yeah. I wasn't planning on sharing this, but because of your story, I'll yeah. share mine sh- real quick. I would love to hear it. Because I want to hear more more from you, but yeah. our story is almost the same. Okay. So my first marathon, uh huh, 2005. Okay. St. George. Okay. And didn't really know what I was doing, trained, whatever, ran a 325. Yeah. And... Eight years later, had a friend approach me and was like, hey, I have an extra ticket to the Ogden Marathon. Do you want to run it? Yeah. And that's when I started thinking, well, BQing would be really cool. Like qualifying for Boston has always been in the back of my mind. Yeah. Even as like a really a non-runner. Yeah. I was like, that'd be really cool because the event's so rad. Yes. So I th- trained what I thought was training. Yeah. Because the first time I kind of trained. But I just went out and I was 25 or yeah. something. I just went and ran it. Yes. And then this this next time in 2013, I was like, okay, I, you know, I am I started training in February for a race in May. Okay. So three months, I'm, yeah. I'm probably fine. I play a lot of basketball. I'll be yeah. all
1: right.
0: And then two months later, April was uh-huh. the Boston bombing. <sighs> and so this is a month before the race, before my kind of first real marathon I yeah. trained for it. Yeah. And I remember my friends and my wife were like, are you sure you want to try to qualify for Boston? Like, did you see what happened? And I was like, yeah, I still want to do it. Yeah. So we're going to get into the Boston bombing here in a second because mm-hmm. unfortunately, but fortunately, yeah. you can't talk about the Boston Marathon without at least talking about 2013. Yeah, it's going to come up. So I train hard what I think is hard. And just like you, eight, 10 years later, I run a marathon one minute faster. So here I am in the mentality of, I guess I'm a 325 (laughs) marathon. Yeah,
1: that's what happens. Like,
0: that's my time. That's that's my stride. That's just who I am. Mm -hmm. Running's genetic. Mm -hmm. You know, I put the work in. And then I was just like, no, I got to try one more time. Mm -hmm. And I tried um, like five months later Mm
1: -hmm.
0: at Big Cottonwood Marathon. Yeah. And I missed the qualifying, just like you did, by one minute. No. (laughs) <laughs> I missed, it was oh, a 3.10 yeah. for me, and I ran a yeah. 3.11 and change. Yeah. So now I'm now I'm pissed. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, okay, Yeah. I'm not a 3.25 marathoner. Yeah. I can actually qualify. Yeah. And then I qualified on my fourth try just like you did.
1: Oh, man, I love this. Isn't that crazy? Yes, and, I, and mine was one minute and some change as well. It was yeah. like minutes. So we both
0: ran St. George. Yeah. And then on our third one, we missed it by a minute. Yeah. So and very then we similar did it story. And on our fourth one. Amazing. Oh, I love it. So I ran Boston in two thousand. 15 and 16 okay. and you ran it in 14 yes and 17 yes and then 23 yes
1: so we're piggybacking
0: yes so so you
1: got to come back next year we'll talk okay <laughs> well I,
0: i'll have to actually go run well i am running a road marathon okay for the first time since 2016 oh that's exciting i'm running a road marathon i'm running the Ogden marathon
1: it's a beautiful course may
0: 20th but i'm running it with my daughter who is that, that's her 19th birthday, and it's oh, her first marathon. That like
1: makes me want to cry. So that's she and amazing. I are going to
0: have our time together. Yes. Whatever her time is, yes. her time is. Who cares? Yeah, who it's cares? her first one. She lives in Hawaii, and she's been training.
1: Uh-huh. She's
0: been following trainings that I've been giving her. Yeah, I've been that's stealing so cute. tips from you. Good. <laughs> so, no, she, she's doing great. But I'm looking forward to that moment of just running Ogden just yes. with her. So that's going to be super fun.
1: That's one of my dreams. So my kids are still a little younger, but I don't ever want to force them. It's my dream for one of them to want to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if they don't want to, that's fine because it needs to be for them, not for me. Yeah. But so that's really neat that you're. Yeah, doing Yeah, she's
0: that. training, and she said, "I just want to run a marathon." I said, "Well, yeah, well, okay, yeah. If you want me to go do it with you, I'll do it with you. Let's." So she she I signed me up, and that's amazing. We're doing it. So yes, um, that'll be really cool. But okay. let's back up just a little bit sure. to 2013. Yeah. So, so, everyone is uh, very aware of the the Boston bombings yeah. what that means to the city of boston to to running to the community
1: mm-hmm.
0: you you ran Boston in 2014 mm-hmm. What was that like the year after I've spoken to people, but yeah. share the emotional drain or of, of yeah. that day,
1: yeah, I mean, like I'm tearing up now because like it was really that special, and the the energy in the city was palpable it felt like rev like a like reverent so I'll I'll start off with sharing the story right when we arrived in Boston um so I ran it with a girlfriend a best running friend of mine named Christina we we went together we left our young kids um and to do this very special thing together And when we arrived in the city and checked into our hotel downtown, we were walking down like Copley Square on the way to the Race Expo, and we passed the Old South Church. Mm -hmm. The Old South Church does this amazing service on Sundays. It's called the Runner's Prayer. I'm saying it a little bit wrong, but it's something to that extent. So I didn't know about any of this at this point. So we were walking by the church, and this sweet, sweet old lady has got all of these scarfs around her neck. They were hand-knitted in Boston the classic Boston yellow and blue. We weren't in any runner swag yet because we had just arrived and it was our first Boston experience. So the two of us are just so much emotion. We'd already talked to so many people and everybody was sharing their stories. Everyone needed to share their stories. So everywhere we went, there was so much intentional connection with the runner were you here last year? No, I wasn't. Were you here? I'm so sorry. Can I hear your story? Like let's, let's talk. So it had already been just so powerful. The airport, the hotel, everywhere we went, there was just these moments where you connected with people on a level deeper than running, even though running was what brought us to Boston. But this circling back to old South church, um, this lovely, lovely older woman came up to us really quietly and she said, excuse me, are you running the Boston Marathon? And we were like, Yes, we are. You know, like we are, right? We're here to run it. And she said, Would you mind if I gave you a gift? And we were said, Of course not. And this is going to make me cry every time I tell the story. She takes this scarf, this hand knit scarf, and she puts it around my neck and wraps it around me. And she said, I can't remember, I'm gonna, not going to say it quite right, but. I wrap this scarf around you with love and protection. <laughs> the city of Boston thanks you. The our church parish, we thank you. And then she said, your scarf has a little it had a little note pinned to it, and with a handwritten note by the person who had knitted the scarf for me. It was a lady in Minnesota. And she said, she wrote me the nicest note and she said, My family and friends. We're all praying for you. Thank you for standing up against everything that happened in Boston. Will you, here's my cell phone number? Will you please text me so we can track you, so we can follow you. So then I text her that night and she texted me during the race. Her I've got texts from her family. And so to me, that little story signifies that's how that's how the whole weekend felt. Mm-hmm. Everything was special, everything was sacred, and it was different. And there were nerves were high because of the the seriousness of what occurred the year before that we don't, I mean, the horrors, there were snipers on all the roofs. Um, There were additional security measures that we all received emails from, which we all were greatly appreciative of law enforcement and their efforts to keep the city safe. Um, So everything that weekend was extra special and every runner, I feel like I prayed with strangers. It didn't matter if you prayed or not. It didn't matter what religion you were. We were there collectively to support the city of Boston as a running community, and um, it was an experience I'll never forget.
0: Amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. I know um, runners that couldn't finish were allowed to come back the next yes. year. Of course, those that were injured mm-hmm. ran that year, and then there were some the next year because they weren't they weren't better.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I, you know, we ran with. Um, I ran with some in 15 and some again in 16 who couldn't – who still couldn't come back Mm -hmm. from what had happened to them in 13. And that was – that's just, you know, so tragic. So this last week, I think it was recently released on Netflix, Mm -hmm. Manhunt. Yeah. And I started that and I've been watching that. Yeah. It's only three episodes, but I'm two episodes in.
1: Yeah, I've been watching it too. I'm not done yet either.
0: And that just bringing back all that emotion 10 10 years later, you know. Boston has this special place in, in a lot of people's hearts, whether you're a runner or not. For sure. It has this special spot. Yeah. And for you, you have that story and this, these moments and you, you ran it three times. Yeah. And for me, you know, it's, it's that accomplishment of making Boston. For sure. And then it's all the emotion of what happened in 2013 mm-hmm. and the fact that as a running community, as a society, we're standing up against it and saying, no, we're coming back. Like, we're going to keep doing this. Yes. You can't stop us from doing it. It's now 120-something years running. Yeah. And so, you know, for me, I shared this last podcast, but uh-huh. it was, I watch, I always watch the Boston Marathon. Mm-hmm. And when I was in Florence, Colorado, I'm in, I'm in a prison camp and I'm watching in 2017, 2018. I watched the Boston Marathon from prison.
1: Wow.
0: And I most people don't know this, but there's there are five levels of security in the federal prison mm-hmm. system. There's minimum security, which is like a camp where, yeah. or or even home confinement is okay. considered the same minimal security. So you could be at a camp, which is where I was. Mm-hmm. Um super loose, there's no like bars and it's not crazy. It's like a it's like a community college campus, essentially. So there's minimum security, okay. Which is the same as being on home confinement. Then okay. there's a the low security. Then there's medium. Then there's high. Okay. And the last, the fifth level, is called an admax, like an ADX or an administrative. That's a supermax. There's only one supermax prison in the entire country, and it's on the same compound in Florence, Colorado. As where I was. Okay. So I'm watching the Boston Marathon in 2017 in this little TV room. And again in 2018. And less than a mile down the road on this large federal compound, there's a medium security prison. Mm-hmm. And there's a high security prison. Okay. Then you go down the road just a little bit more. And there's the one ad max prison where Jahar Sarnev is sitting in the prison cell. Oh my gosh! So, Jahar is the only living Boston bomber because he and his brother, um, um, okay, Jahar and Tamerlan, okay, the two the two brothers that are responsible for the Boston bombing. You know, so Jahar ran his brother over, and and he ended up getting shot to death, and then, and then he ran him over yeah in the whole escape, That's right? Crazy. so so jahar Jahar was twenty years old when he commits that crime. And here I am in this minimum security prison camp, mm-hmm. watching the Boston Marathon because of my love for running and for racing and running. yeah, and a mile down the road is this this guy. So you know, a lot of people <sighs> in the federal crazy. prison camp, their daily job is they get on a bus and they go to the ADX, mm-hmm. and they work there. Okay. They clean, they make food, they mm-hmm. prep food, um, but nobody, of course, has contact with them. So they're in these single-man cells, 23 hours a day, locked down. They get one hour of you know, a little bit of window time and okay. a little bit outside, but they're, they're so locked down, nobody has access to them. But mm-hmm. for me, when I watch, watching Boston in those moments... In Florence, Colorado, was was like this emotional, like it almost like surreal. Like, yeah, dude, that dude is one mile down the road from here. Yeah, that's crazy. That is. And so now I'm watching the Netflix, and I'm I'm watching, and I'm fought, I'm just reliving all of it right. again, and I'm reliving the emotion of like this minor connection of the race and running, and then Jahar's just down the road, and I'm like, you know, he's he's sentenced to death, you know. For obvious reasons yeah or whether you disagree or not he is sentenced to death he actually in 2020 he's been appealing that so in 2020 okay. um it was he won the appeal oh okay. and then the judge just recently in 2022 overturned it so he's he's on death row again mm-hmm. but it's just the fight and, and looking back and i'm like man he was 20 years old and his older brother and That's the tragic. influence that his older brother had and just what it did to the city and to the race, but it's it's a pretty uh it's just emotional I don't know how to describe it watching this and then yeah. thinking back to those times is is just really compelling and it's really it's really just made i don't know it it's done a lot to the city to the mm-hmm. race, but what what a bounce back to running. What a bounce back yeah. for the race. The way they just came back and have made that race special for yeah. you and your friends and everyone that we know. Yeah, so,
1: absolutely.
0: Huge tribute. But I said it yeah. last time. I'll say it again. Yeah. If you're if you ha- if you're not a runner, yeah, go to Boston and be a part of the Boston Marathon. Couldn't agree more. Right? A couple million fans lined yeah. up all along the course. Yeah.
1: There's nothing like it.
0: It's Nothing. electric.
1: <clears throat> it's special not just for the participants, but I think for everybody. Yep. The volunteers, the spectators, the city, everyone.
0: So cool. Yeah. Okay. So moving moving along from that, I want yeah. I want to I want to move the the listeners along to your running career. Sure. And at some point you're like crazy enough to be like, "Okay, I'm a fast road runner. I've accomplished Boston. Mm-hmm. Like this is awesome. Mm-hmm. I cracked the code to Boston." Yeah. I'm going to try like a 50 K or a 50 miler. And then you've now done a couple hundreds Uh and you've podiumed
1: Uh
0: on hundreds. Uh So take us through the evolution of going from road to ultra and and why?
1: Yeah. So in my heart, I've always been an ultra runner (laughs) always. (laughs) So I grew up in the mountains of Northern California up by Tahoe. My dad is the ultimate mountain man. So I have grown up hiking, backpacking, being out on the trails in nature my entire life. So it's second nature to me. So even though those early years were maybe on races I was trying to qualify for Boston, um, I've been trail running since I was a teenager. So it um, has always been a natural evolution. When I went to BYU my freshman year, I was on a training run up Provo Canyon. And I'm like, there's people running down the canyon and I couldn't figure it out. And I had turned around to finish my run and people were like first place female 50 miler and i was like vivian park i didn't squaw know it peak. was squaw <laughs> i had no yeah. idea yeah. people were cheering for me and like "Dang, she's looking fresh i'm like oh i'm on like a 10 mile run <laughs> not a 50 mile run through yeah. the mountains so i found out about squaw that day and i was like i'm gonna freaking do that like wait yeah. people do this yeah like they run all day in the mountains my very favorite place and so from that point forward I was an ultra marathoner, even though I was 19, even though the longest run I'd ever done was 18 miles. I hadn't run my first marathon yet. I was training for my first marathon. Then that's another story. But even from that point forward, I knew I'd be an ultra marathoner 10 years before I was a BQ marathoner. In my mind, I was a BQ marathoner. That's how I work. Like I I, I own up to it. If it happens in here first and then you put in the work, it'll happen in real life. So Um, that's a little backstory. So I've always, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm an ultra marathoner. I'm a trail runner, but kind of circling back to when I did my first 50 K, um, it was more, I think, family planning, having young kids, making sure the timing felt right. Um, and when the kids were young, we lived in Indiana for six years really missed the mountains, but we had this amazing state park right outside of town with beautiful rolling hills and trails and train bridges. And I mean, it was spectacular. My husband is also uh, a runner, mountaineer. When we were dating, we summited mountains together. So it just always made sense that eventually we'd do this, right? And so um I was training out in the trails, and I and I said, you know what for my birthday?" I want to finally become an ultramarathoner, and I so I talked to Graham about it, and um, I registered for my first fifty k. It was in July on my birthday, July seventh. It was July sixth. Um, I want to say I registered in May. It was it was pretty late in the game, but my base was big. I'd been running on the trails all spring, and yeah, went out and did my first fifty k in Wisconsin. I think it was a uh, Dances with Dirt. It's a fun trail series, small trail series out there. Won it won the whole thing and was like, yeah, this is my, this is my jam. Yeah. <laughs> I was hooked to like yeah. first 50 K, um, a lot of elevation gain. I don't know how they find it out there in the Midwest, but it's there. Um, but gorgeous course. My husband ran it too. Creamed my husband, which he was a faster marathoner than me, so that felt really good. Smoked I'm not competitive him. at all. I smoked him, <laughs> um, and I was thrilled. I was like, finally, I'm faster than you. No, but it's just a friendly banter thing we have. But yeah, I um, ended up battling the second place female. Her and I battled for first place all day and it ended up being like it lit a fire like this is fun. Not only am I running for fun, I'm also racing mm-hmm. and I loved that feeling. It, there was a lot of tension between us. We've since become she's like one of my best friends now. So, I get it cracks me up. But anyhow, that was my first 50k and that was uh let me see. I am 39 this year. I probably did that maybe Nine years ago, almost a decade ago.
0: Yeah, maybe yeah.
1: eight years ago. I don't know. I don't. I don't want to get it exactly right, but or get it wrong, but um, yeah. And I've never looked back.
0: Okay, that so was, yeah. so recently then. Yeah. You Tunnel Hill Hundred.
1: Yeah, that was that's my most recent 100. That yes. was in November.
0: And you took third. Yes. And how in the world did you decide I'm going to go run this race in Illinois? Is that because of your time in Indiana?
1: Correct. Yes. Okay. And people ask me that. They're like, "What's what's tunnel hills so when we lived in indiana that's actually when i first had decided to run a 100 miler again a lot of times these big goals that we have they take a long time to come to fruition with everything else we have going in our lives cuz we're not professional runners we are human beings who are like who have families who have jobs who have big important lives outside of running even though our running is still important to us right and so a lot of things have to come together i was registered I was thinking about running Tunnel Hill and my mom had passed away unexpectedly that that year. And it might not have been Tunnel Hill, but that one was on my radar. Um, so from that point forward, I've always had that race on my radar. And um, I've always wanted to do it. It looked like a beautiful course. The whole thing is trail, but it's a flat course. Yeah. And I, although I love the mountain 100s and they're they're different, I also love to do like, I feel like I've got kind of a, um, a bit of a knack to kind of lock in to that medium pace and, and just, just maintain hold it. that
0: pace forever. Yeah, I feel because you don't like... have to stop and climb. Yeah, or descend aggressively on your quads. You can just maintain a
1: lock and load cruise control. Yeah. I love cruise control races, and a lot of people don't. And I, that's why there's something out there for everybody. You know, some people have yeah. asked me like, "Oh, why would you want to do that?" You know, that seems hard, m- more hard mentally, and it might have been. Um. But I, a few months before, had a massive DNF at Leadville 100. And I didn't really get a chance to showcase my fitness. Like two days later, I wasn't sore. And that's always like, dang it. You know, I didn't get. So I was looking for a fall race that fit with my schedule that I could um, have a chance to piggyback off of Leadville 100 and maybe showcase my fitness and finish another one. Because you put all the
0: work in. You're in good shape. Yeah. what, What happened at Leadville?
1: What happened at Leadville? Oh, man, I wish I knew. Could you tell me what happened what, at Leadville?
0: What month? What year?
1: Yeah, this this was just this past year. So this was 2022, August 2022. We're in 2023, right? Am yeah, I right? Yeah. I have marathon-like brain fog. <laughs> um, so you, you can correct me if I'm wrong. So I um, trained really well. Training went fantastic. I felt extremely prepared. Um, my goal, I had a really lofty goal. I was trying to go sub 24 in Leadville, trying to maybe do like a top 10 female. Um, one of my sponsors is Goo. So they got me a bib into the race. It's a really hard race to get into. So I really wanted to do it right. You know, really I was just
0: going to ask you how you got a bib. Yeah. Because i put in for that Yeah, a few times now. Yes. I, yeah.
1: I have been working with Goo for like five years. They're a really awesome brand, and they fuel me well, and they take good care of me. So really fortunate to get um, a bib Great. from them. So I went out with some really lofty goals. I mean, I, I even got an altitude tent and put it in my home the last month. I was all freaking in. Yeah. So fit, really felt prepared mentally, physically, all the above. Ran a really smart, conservative race, kind of held on. Right where I wanted to be placement-wise, time-wise, pace-wise, felt on top of the world for the first 50 miles. Didn't even really Mm -hmm. feel hard. And Leadville, you know, is all above 10,000 feet. That's what makes it so hard. Yes, there's elevation gain. Yes, there's... Um, a variety of trails from super flat and runnable to more technical you climb you hike you run up you run down there's even some road miles mixed in um, I know the Leadville course really well I've run it I've run the whole course because I've gone to the Leadville training camp a couple years with goo and so I so I know the course well um, and around mile 55 so halfway the hardest point Part of the Leadville course. I don't know if you've run out on the course at all. Is we have a giant mountain pass that we have to get over halfway through the course. It's called Hope Pass. It runs at about oh gosh, don't quote me on it, like twelve thousand feet, twelve something, I think. And what you do is right before you. At Leadville is an out and back course, mm-hmm. so it's fifty miles out, fifty miles back. At mile in the mile at mile forty. Seven, you summit Hope Pass, and it is really tough. And then you go back down. The downhill is super steep. There's an entire – so to, to explain it, on both sides of Hope Pass – it's the same amount of elevation gain, but on the outbound, this side, Mm -hmm. it's a mile less. So that's how much steeper it is. Oh, I see, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's
0: like grandeur. Yes. You do the one side. Yeah, and you're like, oh, it's
1: not bad. And then if you go back out that way. So came up Leadville, the first, or Hope Pass, felt great. You descend down, it's pretty steep. It's a quad buster, but it's fine. And then you get to the 50-mile mark. Still felt amazing. My splits were fantastic. Um, Took off from Hope Pass, or took off from the turnaround it's called Twin Lakes, Back Up Hope Pass, and like things went pretty dark.
0: Is <laughs> that exactly that steep climb? Oh, yeah,
1: it just, yes, it destroyed me. I couldn't find my salt. Whenever I get nauseous, I'm usually behind on salt. I randomly use, and this isn't sponsored, I use Redmond Sea Salt when I do ultras. I just lick it, I put it on my tongue. It's got some other minerals, and it. it seems to, we all find those magic little mm-hmm. things that work for us. Redmond sea salt comes in clutch for me so I couldn't find it anywhere I was out of it I was searching for it and I was like I'll get it when I get to the aid station after Hope pass because there's that whole like relentless forward progress I was getting really frustrated with myself when I was stopping and I just wanted to keep like, I moving. just need to go yeah I was spiraling yeah. a little bit you know I was yeah. <laughs> and my 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 goal I think on that part was to do like a, a 25 minute mile it's slow it's steep I wasn't expecting to do anything remarkable. I was more of like, I've done that part before. And I knew that second pass is always really hard for me. You trained out there. Well, I've just because I've gone to the yes, I've trained out the camp. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So I've done I had done hope pass twice. So I knew every time that second, that second ascent just tears me up. The first year I did it, I was running with some pro mountain runners. We were doing that section and everyone was a mess, not just me, which made me feel better. It's just challenging. It's how close it is together too, like you're you you do it up and over and then up and over and then up and over yeah so and then halfway through the course, uh, all above ten thousand feet so I I was nauseous I was tired I was mentally not in the greatest space but just focusing and pushing through and I just kept thinking I wasn't eating enough I wasn't drinking enough although I had been the rest of the day I just said make it up and over Hope Pass there's an aid station right up and over Hope Pass then you can collect yourself then you can get it together so. I made it. I think like forty minute miles for two miles.
0: Yeah, I but who cares? Minute miles. So you got over it. I got over it. That's what it takes. You That's get what to... it takes. Yep.
1: I was I was there in it with some really awesome runners. We all just we were quiet, but we were in it together. We were like, we're just gonna get over the mountain. We get over Hope Pass. I get back to the aid station. I am so depleted—calories, food, water, electrolytes—and I just start. I don't know what I was thinking, but you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. I just start. Pounding food. I have two things of hot ramen and broth. I, I had a muffin. I had, I mean, I had like eight things. And I, I don't have a good digestive system when I race. I have to be, I can't smorgasbord it like a lot of people can. I can't do the awesome aid station. Oh, a handful of Skittles, a handful of this, some pickles, some chips, some watermelon. No, not me. I got to stick to my basics. And so I ate it all as fast as I could. And I'm like, ah, I fell on top of the world. I l- start leaving the aid station. I grab my poles I start leaving and out of the middle of nowhere, I've got about two seconds till I am gonna barf my mm-hmm. guts out. Like all there that was you just took no Yeah, and so I run off the course, I almost barf all over aid station volunteers and I I just projectile vomit for five yeah. minutes until there's nothing left but bile. Yeah. Um the medic was like, hey, will you take some Zofran? And I was like, no, I'm fine. He's like, no, I'd really like you to take some Zofran. you got, like, a ways to go to the next aid station. So I finally <laughs> agreed to take some. And he said, you're going to wait here for 10 minutes, and then you're going to walk and tell and sip water because it takes about 20 minutes to kick in, and then it, you, can, you can run again. So I do what he says very reluctantly. Um, I make it to... So that's kind of where my race unraveled. I, w- I had slowed down so much between the throwing up and waiting. I didn't have my headlamp with me because I was going to be back.
0: So it's like mile fifty-five, sixty. 60. Yeah. It's going to get dark. Yeah, yeah. I was going
1: to be back with my crew and my pacers. That's where you pick up the pacers. That's the tricky thing. Leadville doesn't have to... You- doesn't let you have pacers till you get up and over and up and over and back down. To
0: the 100K mark, yes. really? Yeah.
1: Yes. And so I slowed down so much that I ran out of daylight without a headlamp on the most technical part of the race. So I was just moving slow. I finally get to my crew. I grab my pacer and I felt fine. But from miles 60 to 70, um, they said I threw up, fi- they stopped counting after 50 times. Mm-hmm. So I threw up, I probably needed, to, like, be – have an IV and maybe be in the hospital. You just had nothing. Yeah, I had nothing. So I – long story short, sorry, I'm long-winded. I threw up the rest of the night until I was forced to DNF at, like, mile 70-something. Yeah. Yeah. So I went from, like, being right in the front, probably top 10-ish female, just everyone passing me, passing me in groups, falling apart. I was taking naps on the trail. I don't – I woke up with, like, bug bug bites on me because I would literally just be, like, throw my poles down and, like, sleep. At that point, I thought – you know, maybe I can still finish it and just, like, barely squeak in under the 30-hour cutoff because I – at that – I at first, I was like, well – Is that like, the well, cutoff at Leadville? 30? Yeah. No, 28. 28 hours.
0: Well, and what's, what's the elevation gain in the whole course? You remember?
1: I should know this. I have Cause had – Because
0: that's a – 28 hours so is...
1: it is the hardest cutoff in the country that's yeah, one my of the reasons is... why that's one of the reasons why Leadville is so elusive it's all above 10,000 feet and the cutoffs are insanely are really strict. Fast. yeah and they're worse in the middle of the course because they figure if you're slowing down now you're not going to make it so they'll pull you they'll so a lot early, of people yeah. get pulled so that the the finish rate on Leadville is about 50 percent yeah um and the total elevation gain I want to say is like it's not a ton it's I think it's like around ten thousand feet, give or take. So that's not a ton for hundred miles. Not a ton, at but all. you got the. But it's the, enough. The
0: tough climate. Yeah, you got the double summit, up and over, summit. up and over. Yeah, and then you got to hit these these times. And then
1: you got to hit the times. So yeah, so it ended up being a DNF for me. I I thought I could be in right around twenty four hours. You know, twenty three thirty was kind of my my. Yeah, uh, and I was on track to that until about mile sixty.
0: So um, so with with everything in the, in the next aid station podcast yeah. and in life. Yep. What'd you learn? What'd you learn from that? experience of just getting your butt kicked in the Leadville? Like, was it, oh, I just ate wrong? Or was it, what was it that you took from that?
1: I would say the strongest thing that I took from that was right here, right between the eyes. Um, It was a very strong reminder that the marathon, that the ultra marathon, that these events that we can potentially pour our heart and soul with, they owe us nothing. Like, it's not linear. We don't get to check the boxes and then get the reward. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it trans- that's why I love running so much because all of that transfers over to life. But it was a reminder to me that we can do everything right. And that doesn't mean that life is going to go the way that we want. And it's what we do with those moments. It's how we pivot when things don't go our way and what we learn from it, right? So what I learned from it was, uh, I definitely think it gave me mental strength, because I pushed literally until I physically could push no more. Mm -hmm. So it gave me the confidence to know that I could be weak and broken and vomiting endlessly and barely able to walk with my poles and I could still keep going. So it may not have led to a finish that day, but it did give me confidence in myself that I can push when things get hard. And again, how that transfers over into life and like the stories that I can tell my kids and then I'm going to take one more thing. So it gave me confidence that I can push when things get hard. It reminded me that it's okay when things don't go our way, that I didn't do anything wrong necessarily. It just, just didn't go my way and that that's okay. And then I would say the third one and probably the biggest one was what am I going to do with this? What am I going to, what am I going to, how am I going to respond to this? Am I going to allow this to put me in a funk? No way. Like, absolutely not. Like, I'm going to take the win, and then how am I going to move forward with it? And how I move forward with it is I rested, I recovered, I regrouped, and then I went and kicked butt at Tunnel Hill.
0: Yes, you did. Yes. yes you did. Yeah, <laughs> j- just because you put in all the work yeah. and the training and the early mornings the late nights, you know, the sacrifices that you and your family make for you to be there mm-hmm. on race day yeah, doesn't mean that Leadville owes you anything. I yeah. constantly remind myself that this is volunteer. Yeah. I am volunteering to be here. Like it's my choice yep. to be here. Yep. And it owes me nothing. Absolutely. That mountain owes me absolutely nothing. Yeah. And it's about me putting another foot in front of the other. Yep. And getting to the next aid station. Yes. But you're not always gonna win. You're not always going to finish. And part of running. And part of ultras Mm -hmm. is accepting that failure and then learning from it yes, and being a better person. And Mm -hmm. and that happens in our relationships. Mm -hmm. It happens in our businesses. It happens in, in running and in life. And so when we, when we fail Mm -hmm. and when we, we lose and we fall on our face and we're barfing relentlessly, right. And we're pulled from, from that experience. Yeah. You don't just quit running. No. You're like, oh, I'm done. I, you know.
1: But don't we have those thoughts in the middle of it when things go bad? Uh, yeah. Like I mean, I think I thought that I had a real rough mile in the middle of Boston and I was like, I'm done. I guess I'm just I guess my best running days are gone. Yeah. I'm I'm yeah. slow now, you know. Yep. Like you you we spiral, but we pull ourselves out of it and you yep. continue. Yeah. So
0: so you I, I saw something, you know, about that you posted once. Uh-huh. And and if you don't follow Run Randy Run, you need to go on Instagram yeah. and hit it up because uh you, you, your some of your content is is so real life and so authentic. So I I follow it and I read it and I watch it and I listen to you. And I saw one where you said something about the average person has six thousand two hundred thoughts a day, mm-hmm. over six thousand thoughts a day. Yeah. And eighty percent of those yeah are negative. Yeah. And why is that? Why is it that we have these this overabundance like so many negative thoughts Mm -hmm. as humans but how how does i think a small percentage of people push those out and can just focus on the 20 percent and and have more positive thoughts or draw more from the positivity yeah and so as ultra runners Uh or as runners in general Uh i think we're a breed that is mentally really strong like almost stronger than we are physical in many cases
1: oh for sure for sure. And following up on that, I think what I said was, you know, so if 80%, the average person, 80% of them are negative, I said, don't be average. Don't be average. Yep. Don't be average. I don't want to be average. No one really wants to be. And I have many weaknesses, an endless array of them. And I'm always working on bettering myself. But one thing I think I do have is that I I, I focus on the 20% positive. And... I think it's something I came to the earth with, but because it's come naturally to me, I've worked on it and I've honed in on it and I've developed it. And as a mother and as a wife and as a friend and as a coach, if I have something to give, I want it to be that because I feel like it. it's not just for running. It's for life and it can take us really far.
0: I love that. I yeah. love that. So speaking of doing all the right things and it not going your way, mm-hmm. You are an aid station captain yeah. at the DC Peaks fifty. You know it. You are our last aid station, number six. Yeah. Uh, you have been for two years in a row. Yep. First year. Yes. We did everything right. Yeah. Didn't really go our way.
1: I had a really awesome aid station set up. I'm you really did. sad that nobody did. got that we worked hard on. Yes. <laughs> I was, so yes.
0: So 2021, our yeah. first year of DC Peaks fifty. Yeah. If it, it you know. Hop online and and check it out. New York Times and Washington Post and whatever. Yeah. We get hit with this massive snowstorm, out of pretty much out of Seemingly nowhere. nowhere. Seemingly yeah. nowhere is a great yeah. way to put it. And and the the race goes crazy. Well, yeah. your part in that. Yeah. That day. Yeah. I mean, no one is anywhere near your aid station. Yeah. But your response, uh huh. That day was remarkable. Like Mick and me and Jen and and Bree, uh-huh. and everyone involved. We have so many supporters and people that just um, were volunteering that day. But you specifically, tell me your experience of that. You hear the news. Yeah. Um, we're, we're on our phones, yeah. and we're letting you know we're canceling the race. Yeah. And we've got 87 runners on the mountain, mm-hmm. and you are not – like quote unquote responsible for that section of the race. Yeah. At that moment in time, you become a very critical piece to Mick and me as race directors. Yeah. Coordinating with um coordinating with with, with officials yep. to make sure everybody's safe. Yeah. Walk us through kind of your flight or fight yeah. response. Cause that's yeah. literally what you did. It was yeah. like, oh, I could bail, like, this isn't my problem.
1: Yeah. So as soon as I got a call from you or Mick, or maybe both, I was like, I'm just going to head straight to that spot where search and rescue is going and see how I can help. So I threw in, I was still at my house because I I was getting ready to head to my aid station. And so I just threw in all the blankets, all the warm towels. I just shoved my entire van full of things and headed down to where search and rescue was meeting, where basically whoever could help was going to meet there and make a game plan. And there was some officers there and they said, we need someone to go back to the sheriff's office or to the police station. I don't know if I'm saying that exactly right. So like, um, and I have a strong personality. I don't mind stepping in and making things happen. That's kind of where I shine. Like I've been called bossy my whole life. My bad. (laughs) But being bossy and being a leader can come in handy, especially in a fight or flight situation. When things get crazy, I kind of like calm down and like everything slows down for me. And I know it meant business. And there were a lot of, this is serious. Like, you know, there's a lot of people that we want to make sure are safe and if I can help them be safe in any way I'm going to help. My day the day was for DC Peaks, so I'm going to make it for DC Peaks. So I said I'll do it. So I headed down to the station and basically was kind of the communication liaison between you and Mick and between search and rescue and between they wanted someone who understood what the race was and what was going on to also be there for comms.
0: Yep. And then and then you and yeah. then you were coordinating everything with Bree, yeah. who's on the computer, yes. tracking everything, yes. right? So she's tracking the runners, yes. bib so numbers, who checked in, who didn't, yes. and then you and Bree going back and forth. So
1: she's checking in with yep. me, giving me the names of the runners, which I'm then writing down, which I'm then giving to you know the command center, basically, just to make sure that every single last runner was taken care of and accounted for.
0: Yes, we cannot thank you enough. That day yeah. was one for the ages. I felt like I was on
1: the episode of like a cool TV show. (laughs) I was like, we're not, Hey, everyone's staying safe on our watch and everybody stepped up and everyone took it serious.
0: You, you were an absolute rock star just stepping up and saying, Mm -hmm. Hey, I dedicated my day to DC peaks today. Whatever that means,
1: whatever that means,
0: whatever that means. And absolutely crushed it. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the story is written. So then last year, 2022, Mm -hmm. We get, of course, beautiful weather. Yes, your aid station runs smoothly. People are loving the race. Totally different mood. Yeah, and we're looking forward to having you again. Yes, of this course. This coming year, 2023. So we've got a 50 miler and a 50k. You'll be at your posted up at Jacobs Hill, the sixth aid station, and helping us at whatever capacity. So again, we thank you for that. Love it. We're gonna wrap. We're gonna wrap up um, today's podcast. I want to touch a little bit on, on coaching. Sure. I know that you're a phenomenal coach. You've been coaching for years, uh-huh. um, 10 plus years at this point, almost 20, almost 20 yeah. years. Yeah. So I want to, I want to touch on on, on that because like I said, my daughter's getting into running, Love she's it. running a marathon. We get questions all the time because we're runners, right? Yeah. How do I start running? Um, how do I train for a marathon? Mm-hmm. What shoes? Well, I mean, there's just, the questions are endless. They are. Yeah. So I'm going to just narrow it, narrow it right down. Okay. Let's kay? hear it. I'll, I'm going I have three questions. Okay. The first one is name one thing that runners should stop doing in general, like of, of the all the runners that you coach, one thing they should stop doing that you, you they need to stop doing right now.
1: <laughs> okay. Controversial. I'm Here putting we go. you on the
0: spot. Okay, name one thing runners run streaks, should stop doing. Knock it off. Run streaks. <laughs> yes. Explain.
1: <laughs> okay, so at the end of the day, our goals as runners they're 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 multifaceted. But I would say two of the main ones is we run for like the joy and the peace and the mental health that it gives us. But the second one is usually we're running with goals. Goals to finish a race in a particular time or finish a particular distance. The way that we can be the best runners, if you're out there working your butt off and you're doing a tempo run or you're doing hill repeats or you're doing a really long run, the way that our body processes that and gives us the results we want is in our recovery. Recovery is where the growth happens. So if you go out and you work hard and you put in the work of doing a tough workout, the gains that are going to come that are going to make you a better athlete that happens during the recovery process. Okay. So if you're not recovering, you're not able to fully reach your potential and reap the rewards of your hard work.
0: Love it. Okay. Name one thing that runners should keep doing.
1: One thing that runners should keep doing, eating carbs. Carbs are your friend. Don't be scared of them. You can't run far without them. There might be like a 1% of people who can do it differently, and, and I applaud you. But for the majority of us mere humans, carbs are our best friend.
0: Okay. Last one is as runners, Yeah, what's one thing that we should start doing?
1: One thing that we should start doing as runners, strength training. Strength training is a deal breaker. It's a game changer. It will help you reach new strides and results as a runner more importantly it will help prevent injury we want to do the, i want to do this sport till i'm old and gray i'm assuming you and most of us feel the same we want to elongate the life and the ability that we have to do this sport that we love dearly being consistent with strength training you don't need to do it 3 times a week 2 times a week if you can work up to that that would be ideal it will help you prevent injury and it will prolong the life of your running career
0: Awesome. thank yes. you okay. give give us a few sponsor shout outs. and where can people find you?
1: Oh, okay. Um, You can find me at runrandyrun on Instagram. My name is spelled weird. That's gonna be R-H-A-N-D-I. Sponsors, let's see here. Um, I mentioned Goo, they fuel me. They fueled me very well in Boston. Um, My favorite shoes are on running shoes. They're wonderful and they've been a great brand to work with. Um, I'm also on the Rabbit Elite Trail team. They have the best running clothes. Comfy, high quality. You can wear them a hundred times. They'll still look new. I don't know. Um, I'm probably missing someone, awesome. but whoever you are, I love you. <laughs> and um, yeah, that's all I got okay. right now. <laughs> awesome.
0: This has been a phenomenal episode with Randy Orm. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me today on the next Aid Station podcast. And I'm your host, Jake Kilgore.